Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. You know, last week we talked about the subject of faith, and I spoke on how your faith can only function to the level of your knowledge of God's Word. Your faith will never go beyond your knowledge of God's Word. Your faith is limited by your knowledge of God's Word. Your faith will function to the, ne- to the level of your knowledge of who God is, what He can do, and uh, what you believe about His integrity. However, similarly, your operation in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and your efficiency in ministry, and I want to remind you, if you're watching me right now and you feel you're saying, like, I don't believe I'm called to ministry, well, you got to get that lingo out of your mouth because everybody, you might not be called to a full-time position of ministry. However, I do believe there are many that are watching me that are called to full-time ministry, and I believe by the end of this week that full-time Uh, call of God is going to be activated in you and there will be an irresistible urge to move in that direction to do what the disciples did when Jesus called them they forsook all and followed Jesus I believe this week is going to be life-changing for many that have always felt that call to ministry but have never successfully debranched from this world and plugged into the work that God's called them to do I believe that this week will be a week where the Lord by his spirit, pulls you away from whatever earthly ambition, earthly passion, every earthly purpose or plan or pursuit that you've had and fully engages you in the full-time call of God that he's always had on your life. And so this week, not only is that call going to be activated in many, I believe that as you come in the understanding of the operation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost and the clear definition of the five-fold ministerial offices that there are, that you will become an efficient minister as to what God's called you to do. I said it uh, last week, your faith can only go to the level of your knowledge of God's Word. Similarly, your operation in the gifts of the Spirit and your efficiency in ministry will be a function of your knowledge of these gifts, how they operate, and your clear understanding or definition of what uh, the fivefold minister's office are. Because there's a lot of things, a lot of things people call ministry that are actually not ministry. There are a lot of things people, uh, they call ministry that have nothing to do with biblical ministry. I don't know about you, but I want to stay as close to the Bible as I can get. I don't want to just come out with my own thing and call, you know, we've moved on, we've progressed, and come into some new thing that I like to call ministry, but has no biblical foundation, no biblical root. Let me make this clear to you. If your ministry is not found in the Bible, it is not a ministry. If what you are doing in ministry cannot be located in the Bible, um, especially in the book of Acts, It is not a ministry. We want to do things biblically. God is only obligated to back up his word and his word alone. God does not back up our plans. God does not back up our ideas. He's not uh, trying to 
be relevant with today's society. And this is what I think this generation needs. He actually doesn't care what you think this generation needs because he's already given us a biblical blueprint that will be effective and has been effective through the ages despite the turn of the age, despite what's become relevant, despite what was culturally accepted throughout history. This biblical blueprint of what the Bible calls ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and every task and responsibility that uh, falls under those different classes of ministry, that biblical blueprint has not changed, and it has, it's still effective to this day and to this age. And there are, because a lot of people say, well, if it was still effective, well, where, where are the Elijahs of our day? Where are the... I'm telling you, there are people that have outworked Elijah. There are people who have done the works of Christ in this day and this age that fall under the category of these biblical office of ministry. There are people that you might not know of that are shaking their nation. They're shaking their content. You look at a guy like Reinhard Bonnke, who falls under the category of the office of evangelist. He was a true evangelist. Look at what he did as he stuck to just the simple message of the blood of Jesus and the gospel of Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection, how he totally changed the entirety of Africa, really. There's a lady that said it's their first time watching from Nigeria. Well, you can testify. Nigeria has never been the same since Reinhard Bonnke came and ministered and did his crusades there. Billy Graham, an evangelist, he stuck to you know, people, especially during COVID, I remember everybody was asking, what would Jesus be doing if he were on the earth today? He'd be doing exactly what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wouldn't have changed his, uh, his, his um, he would not have changed his MO. His mode of operation would have stayed the same. God, Jesus isn't fluctuating with the times. The problem has always been sin. The gospel has always been the solution and using people like you and I, ordinary people, natural people, natural men and women, whereby he infuses his supernatural power to bring about a surge of his dynamic power and electricity to impact our generation. That plan, that blueprint, that MO has never changed and remains efficient to this day in this age. You look at a guy, I talked about evangelists, but you'd look at the ministry of a pastor, and uh, uh, of a pastor, and I would even call an apostle, Bishop David Oyedepo, Nigeria, how he has shaken his entire nation. You look at guys like Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, who's an apostle from South Africa, came to America, who made the news in COVID because he took a stand for his church and took a stand and kept the church open. And what it did, you know, the rest of churches in America benefited from that stand that he took. And he came with $300 in his bank account. He had nothing. He had three children. And how God has elevated him. And he now has an, an influence that impacts the nation. He was on President Trump's board of, uh, of, of, of counselors. You have that picture, that famous picture that emerged from the White House when they were praying for Donald Trump in the office. And his hand, he's laying hands on Donald Trump. He has an internet, he has a national influence simple boy from the bush of South Africa comes but the call of God was there and he stuck to the mission he stuck to the mandate and look at what it produced you can't just do whatever you want and call it ministry there's a lot of people that are uh, they call themselves missionaries you know the word missionary the uh, the the office of a missionary is actually not found anywhere in the bible 
Now, I'm not saying a missionary doesn't exist. Paul had missionary journeys, but Paul called himself an apostle. Paul was originally in Acts 13. You see, he's named amongst the prophets and teachers. So many people that call themselves missionaries are actually are actually uh, people that fall under the fivefold, one of the fivefold ministers. They're either an apostle, a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet, or a teacher. But there is no office of missionary. If you are a missionary, you can be a teacher missionary, you can be a pastor missionary, you can be really a missionary is just, I move from where I am, I move to a different country and that's where I plant to ride. You know, you could even be a missionary with your own, within your own country, born and raised in Montreal, you feel the call to go and plant a church in Vancouver, you're a missionary. But you're not a missionary. You know, a lot of what they call missionary or missionary journeys or missionary missions, they go out into a different country and they paint houses or they build a roof. I'm not against painting houses and building roofs. I'm not against, you know, helping people on a humanitarian level. But if you think that the gospel is just humanitarian help, you have severely watered down the gospel. You have severely weakened the gospel. The gospel is not just humanitarian help. And look, as a ministry, Salvation Now, we provide humanitarian help. We partner with a ministry called Feed the Hungry in Canada, and they have an office in the United States. Matter of fact, their main office is in South Bend, Indiana. Lister Sumrall is the one that founded it. We partner with them. We fed 120 kids overseas just this last year, and we provide... we're, we're, we're uh, planning to do more this year. So I'm not against the humanitarian work that we are called to do as the body of Christ. Jesus was eager to help the poor. The Bible says in Galatians 2, when Paul goes to Jerusalem and he converses with Peter, James, and John, and they give him the right hand of fellowship, they approved of his ministry. The Bible says they desired this one thing that I should never forget the poor. Paul said the very thing that I was already Um, They said, you should remember the poor. Paul said, the very thing I was eager to do anyways. Paul was concerned with poor people. He was concerned with meeting the needs of people. He always had that that care and concern in his heart for people. Jesus Jesus, uh, provided the five loaves and and the two fish. He multiplied it and provided for those that were hungry in the wilderness. Now, I'm not against those things, but if you, if you, think that that's the gospel in and of itself. It is not. It can be a byproduct of the gospel. We're impacted. We receive the love of God. Now we feel a love for people and we help them by providing food and those things that are necessary for them. However, we must never lose fact that the ministry that we have as born-again believers, the very reason you have not died yet, the very reason you didn't get raptured up into heaven when you got saved, the very reason you woke up this morning, the very reason, Lord willing, that you'll wake up tomorrow, is that you are a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador for Christ on the earth. God pleading through you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The Bible says we have received the ministry of reconciliation and we have now the word of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not that is that we need to provide necessities for poor people. It's a byproduct of us being impacted by the gospel, but it is not the gospel at its core. The gospel at its core is that Jesus came to save sinners Paul said, of which I was the chief of sinners. The gospel at its core is God desires all men to be saved. 
Not saved from poverty, not saved from not having food on their table tonight. Primarily, the gospel is that God desires all men to be saved from sin. Sin. Now, when you are saved from sin, you're redeemed from the curse of the law. Then the blessing of Abraham comes on you. You don't have to stay poor anymore. You don't have to stay sick anymore. You don't have, you can now fall, uh, come out of the place of always being in need to being the one now providing the needs of those in your community and in your family and those around you. But the gospel at its core, and I don't want you to ever forget this. And this is important to discuss because we're talking about the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not obligated to confirm. He's not obligated to back up. He's not obligated to come behind any work outside of his primary mission, his primary purpose. And the primary purpose, and we're going to get in it, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave it. It's clear definition. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. My witnesses. Witness to what? Luke chapter 24. I have my Bible opened here. Luke 24, verse 46. Jesus speaking. Thus it is written. And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. So what are we witnesses of? The fact that Jesus suffered, rose again from the dead, and now we must preach repentance and remission of sins in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 49, But behold, I send the promise of my Father on you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That power is the Holy Ghost, the person, the third person of the divine trinity, Understand this, there's no junior Holy Ghost. There's not the Holy Ghost that was in Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and the result of it was he went about doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. He had a deliverance ministry. He had a healing ministry. He had a ministry of reconciling people to God. Well, we don't have a junior Holy Spirit. It's not like Jesus had the actual Spirit of God in him, and we have some counterfeit spirit, or we have a, a second-level spirit, or some sort of, not a first-class spirit, an economy-class spirit. We have the same Spirit. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we have living on the inside of us, and he quickens our mortal body so that we can talk like Jesus, so that we can think like Jesus, and so that we can work like Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 26, Behold, I send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the one who's going to come behind you and, and beside you and who's going to help you. I send you the Helper, the Bible says, the Comforter, the Paraclete, and he'll teach you everything and he'll bring to remembrance everything that I have taught you. So he is the third person of the Trinity. He's co-equal with God in power. He's co-equal in knowledge. He, is, he has his own role. He has his own task. He has his own responsibilities. But he's co-equal in power, co-equal in knowledge, and co-equal in his omnipresence. We see that he's omnipotent. In that, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
and the Bible says that the earth was formed and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And when God said, let there be light, it was the Holy Ghost by his omnipotency that brought about light, that brought about the creation of the world. It was, you see the divine trinity at work in the creation of the world. You have God the Father who created the creative, uh, the creative, innovative, um, the idea of bringing about a heaven and an earth. That's the Father at work. You see God speaking, let there be light. The word at work, which Jesus is the word made flesh. That's in John 1. So you have the Son. And then the Holy Spirit is hovering over the surface of the deep. You have the Trinity at work at creation. You have the Trinity at work in Jesus' baptism. Jesus, the Son, baptized, coming up out of the water. The heavens are open. A voice comes, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove and rests on him. You have the Trinity at work. You have the Trinity at work when Stephen, the first martyr, is martyred. You have Stephen saying, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked up to heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, you have God on his throne, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And then Philip, uh, Stephen rather, filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is part of this divine trinity. Present in the Old Testament, present in the New Testament, and shall remain present until Jesus, by the rapture, uh, actually even after that, even after the rapture, he'll be present on the earth because people will be getting saved throughout the tribulation. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? I've written down several things here. I don't even know how many, but I've written down several things here that describe biblically what the role of the Holy Spirit. This is an introductory broadcast on this week of teaching on the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. And it's important because I said it before, until you have a clear definition of the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, and who the Holy Ghost is and His role, and what Jesus said He would come and do, you're never going to have intimacy with Him, and you're never going to flow with Him in the capacity that He desires to flow with you. Remember, in Corinth, I forget it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians, I believe it's 1st Corinthians 16 in the last verse in, the cha- in that chapter. It says that, may the, gra- the, the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the communion, G- the Holy Spirit desires to have communion or fellowship with you. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an it. He's not an it. Get this out of your mind that he's some it or he's some, you know, ethereal power or some energy in the air or some vibe. The Holy Spirit's not a vibe. The Holy Spirit's not energy. The Holy Spirit is not some new age garbage. The Holy Spirit is not good vibes or good feeling. The Holy Spirit is not goosebumps on your skin. The Holy Spirit is not your hair on the back of your head going up. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has feelings. Matter of fact, the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve an inanimate thing. For something to be grieved, it has to be a person. It has to be a personality. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Bible says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. Quenched. Meaning you could put a wet blanket. You can actually stop. Stop. You know, I've seen it many times. Trust me. I'm an evangelist. I travel in many churches. 
There've been times where I feel the Holy Ghost moving so strong in a service. And I'll look at the pastor, I'll look at people, certain people in the service that are not receiving. They'll be looking at their watch. I was, <laughs> I preached um, a service. There was a bunch of old Italian people and I, I did it. And uh, I, I preached on praying for your, the next generation, praying for your loved sons and grandsons and granddaughters and daughters to come home to the Lord, that this year will be a year of prodigals for you and all that. And there were many people, the majority of the people were pressing in and they were, they were uh, you know, shouting me down as I was preaching and they were very blessed and they engaged and you can tell a spirit of intercession had come on them and they were ready to pray for their lost, one, their lost relatives and loved ones that were in their family. Uh, average age of the congregation was like 75, 75 years old. But there was this one lady that literally looked at me because the clock hit 12 o'clock. It was a Sunday morning and she looked at her watch and she tapped it and she went like that to me. And I'm telling you, it quenched the move of God in that service. Just what one, so the, the Holy Ghost was there. The Holy Spirit was moving, was moving on people, was steering up this intercessory prayer in the lives of the people that were there. And then that one lady got up, tapped her watch. And I remember it ticked me off. I said, I know some of you are more interested in your turkey or whatever you have in the oven today getting cooked and you eating your dinner on time than you are with your, uh, your, your, your loved ones and sons and daughters coming home to be with Jesus and being saved and not spending an eternity in hell. However, there are people here that would desire to pray and desire that their loved ones and relatives do not spend eternity in hell and they're ready to push off lunch and the plate for half an hour. It ticked me off. You have people like that. You have pastors like that. They have you come in and they'll say something like this. You know, um, uh, if you could uh, have the people out by 11.39. Our service starts at 10. We usually have announcements and worship till about 10.45. And then I'm going to come out and do the offering. You'll probably get the mic at about 11.10, 11.15. Now, if you could just get this service down and have the altar call getting ready at 11.30, we can have the people out by 11.39. That'd be very much appreciated. I'd, I, You know, people generally don't have a great attention span and all that. Really? Because they'll go through three... Lord of the Ring movies, they'll go through the saga of Star Wars all in one sitting. They'll Netflix binge watch an entire show of whatever they're watching and stay eight hours listening uh, and engaged in it, laughing their heads off throughout the entire show. But no, they can't have an attention span beyond 22 minutes on a Sunday morning. Maybe they don't have an attention span to hear you because you left the fire and you left the Holy Ghost and you have grieved the Holy Ghost so much that the Holy Ghost has literally departed and your place has become Ichabod and there's no move of the Spirit since the 1970s perhaps. It's because you've become dull, dry, and dead and your sermons are just dead words appealing to dead men in dead pews that's producing nothing perhaps. But when I come, I come loaded with firepower. And I'm telling you, you have, you have pastors that will approach you and tell you, that's quenching the Holy Ghost. That's quenching the Holy Ghost. Thank God. Because, you know, it's very few that I've encountered that are like that. People like that don't usually have me into their churches. I thank God for the churches that I go to. Because many, you know, they, they, they there's a church I can think of. I won't give names because I don't want to, like, you know, 
But I, when I go there, there's such a freedom in the spirit. There's nobody quenching the spirit. People are in a rush to leave. You know, that whole, I'm in a rush to leave, that's in a lot of American churches, and it's leaving in Jesus' mighty name. It's not going to stay because great churches are, are rising up across America. Just in the last two years, I've seen great churches with great pastors that have been uh, founded in America and in Canada that are going to totally set the standard for the rest of churches throughout our nations. That this whole, we have to be in a rush, this McDonald's service Christian uh, Sunday morning experience is going to leave the church in Jesus' name. When you're in a rush, you're quenching the Holy Ghost. You're grieving the Holy Ghost. So all that to say is the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He is a person. The Holy Spirit can be pleased. The Holy Spirit can be, uh, he, he speaks you know, for something that speaks, it has to have, it has to be a person. You don't see trees speaking. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Bible says the Holy Spirit moves. They were moved on by the Holy Ghost and began to write. So the Holy Spirit is a person. What is the role of the Holy Ghost? I've written down several roles that he has, that Jesus, and you can find in the, the, the epistles in the New Testament, as to what his explicit role is. In this New Testament. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand this. Under the Old Testament. Was the dispensation of the Father. The Father was the dominant. Um, member of the Godhead that was moving in the Old Testament. The dominant. They all did move. You see, uh, um, you see uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. In Joshua 6. The angel of the Lord that comes to Joshua. And Joshua bows his face to the ground and worships him. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. Oftentimes you'll see angel of the Lord. Uh, and uh, many a times it's Christ coming in his pre-incarnate form. So the, but the father was the dominant figure of the Godhead in the Old Testament. And what do you have? The Israelites were hard-headed against the father. They rejected the father. They rejected Moses. They rejected many times they were... Hard-headed, the Bible says, and God even said, I swore in my wrath because you were so hard-headed, you would not enter my rest. Jesus comes along, Matthew. And the Bible says now the Pharisees and the religious teachers, oh, they've accepted the Father. They cling to the Father and they cling to the teachings of Moses. But this new fellow, the Son, they rejected. They rejected the active member of the Godhead on the earth, which was Jesus Christ, the Son. Well, Jesus leaves, and now the Holy Ghost comes, and here we are 2,000 years later, and what do we have? Oh, we are people of the Father, and we believe in the Word, Jesus Christ. But in many churches, there's zero mention of the Holy Ghost. There is this, whether intentional or unintentional, rejection of the Holy Spirit. When you mock the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you are rejecting the person of the Holy Spirit. When you mock or speak ill of or lightly of, the ministries, you know how many people speak ill or mock someone who has the title of apostle? Oh, this guy thinks he's an Now, I'm not saying everybody that calls himself an apostle is an apostle. There are some people who call themselves an apostle and they've got three people in their garage. You're not an apostle. I'm sorry. You are an apostle. The Bible says, Paul saying, the works of an apostle have been proven in me by many signs and wonders and miracles. And he says many, you know, the Bible says many people called Paul a father in the faith. He said to the Corinthian, he said, you have many teachers, but you only have one father. I've begotten you in the gospel. For you to be an apostle of Christ, you have to have begotten something. You have to have birthed a work for Christ. There has to have been, there has to be evident things. 
that you've done that prove that Mark you as an apostle. Paul was not only called to be an apostle, the evident work and ministry of an apostle was proven through his life and ministry. But there are many who call themselves an apostle and there's no evidence. There's no, there's no evidence of it. There are people who call themselves evangelists. There's no evidence of it. Just because you travel and preach in churches does not make you an evangelist. An evangelist's ministry is to reach and save that which was lost. We are the sickle of the body of Christ, bringing in the harvest. We are the, 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 the arm, the extended reach of Jesus' body, bringing people in that are in the lost, that are in the, 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 the unreached places. When I, you know, I'm not an evangelist because I teach and preach in churches. I'm an evangelist because I go into the highways and byways and we do our Hope Fest Crusades, which we've done every single year, sometimes twice a year. This year, we're gonna go and do three of them. Crusades going into the inner city in the parks, Saskatoon, Vancouver, and Montreal, and we are going to set up an evangelistic campaign, and we've seen hundreds of people saved through these, uh, these various uh, endeavors and efforts. So I don't just call myself an evangelist. There's fruit. If there's no fruit, then your title means absolutely nothing. Your title means nothing. So let's get, let's get into it. John chapter 16, roles of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 13. However, Jesus speaking, when he, the spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he'll tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit's, uh, the Holy Spirit's main, or one of his main purposes and functions in the life of a believer is to guide you. He will guide you into all truth. He'll steer you away from error. He'll steer you away from demonic doctrine. He'll steer you away from seducing spirits of these last days. He'll steer you away from heresy that, like a little leaven, attempts to leaven the whole lump of dough. The Holy Spirit is a guide into all truth. He's like, a, like an alarm force. That when something that hits your ears that's not according to truth, the moment it hits your ears, there's like an alarm. How many of you can testify by show of hand emojis in the comment section that the moment you heard something at one point in your life that you found out later on was, was totally against the Bible, but you may not have known it then, the moment you heard it, it just struck something in your spirit. It's like you, you felt there, there was like a check in your spirit. It felt wrong. It, it grieved your spirit. You knew, even though you had no scripture to back it up, you knew that was wrong. I, I can show you, I, I did. When I got saved and I was forgiven of sin and I was born again and I wanted to go into ministry, but I was still sick and I had OCD, I remember someone sitting me down and saying, you know, this is Paul's thorn in your flesh that now that you live so wayward from the Father that now God has having to give you a thorn in your flesh so as to keep you from pride because you're always a prideful person. I knew you from your past. Well, the moment I heard that, it grieved my spirit. I felt a check in my spirit. I just knew that was total baloney. 
It wasn't until afterward that I studied 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 that I found out the actual meaning or the actual purpose that Paul's thought in the flesh served. It was not sickness, it wasn't disease. And if you want to know more about that, I have a, a video that I have on YouTube. You can search it up, TJ Malkanji, Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I think I have two videos that describe what that is biblically. I don't have time to get into that today. But I felt there was a check in my spirit. The Holy Spirit guides. He'll guide you... Uh, Away from lies, away from, remember the devil, the Bible says, his main tactic, he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks of his nature. He can only speak lies. Some of you, you grew up in religious churches where they bashed the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They bashed speaking in tongues. And when you grew up, you just felt that was wrong. You shouldn't speak like that about speaking in tongues. And then it was only when you came and you heard the message of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and you found out these things were, are biblical and not only were for, they, uh, they for Bible days, but Peter said in Acts chapter 2, he said the promise is for you, your children, and as many as the Lord our God would call. Hallelujah. As many as the Lord our God would call. The promise of the Holy Spirit. You grew up in a church where they, if they ever talked about the Holy Spirit, it was for the purpose of bashing the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. But it always struck a chord in your spirit, like a wrong chord. He guides. Number two, the Holy Spirit teaches. John chapter 14 and verse 26. 14, 26. But the, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, and he'll bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit will teach you all that you need to know. It's very frustrating when you don't have this, ministry, this teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in you while you're reading the Bible. Remember, he's called the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation, who opens up the eyes of our hearts so that we may know him, the power of his resurrection and, the fellowship, and be, being in fellowship of his suffering. The Bible says that we may know him. Peter, Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood cannot, cannot reveal this to you, but only my Father. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of the Word of God. He brings revelation of the Word of God. He provides us with a love of God's Word through these revelations. Now, when I talk about revelation, I want to make this very clear. I'm not talking about some new revelation you found when you were just thinking and praying. Any revelation that you think you got from prayer that is not backed with scripture, you can take it and you can wrap it up, put it in your fireplace and light it up. Let it heat your home. Any revelation that is not backed by scripture or that even worse goes against scripture is not a revelation from the Father. It's a demonic attempt to get you off track. It is a lying spirit that's speaking to you and uh, you, should, you should be careful. You should be very careful. So the Holy Spirit, he teaches us the word of God. He unravels the truth, the deep mysteries of the word. When the Holy Spirit's ministry of teaching is at work, you become very much in love with the word of God. How many of you can testify of that? My hand emoji. That when you started... To, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, the Word of God came alive to you. It's like you used to call it a boring book. You used to not even want to read it. You used to have a, a hard time even opening its pages. You used to have to force yourself, but all of a sudden now, everything is like light bulbs begin to flash off, and now it's like you can't stay away from it. Every time you read it, your heart leaps for joy. Do you remember when Jesus was speaking to those two men on the road to Emmaus, and the Scripture says that when they were their eyes were open so that they knew Jesus. 
that they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way and revealed the scripture to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? When the Holy Spirit is teaching you from the word, you feel there's like a burning in your spirit. There's an excitement in your spirit. You want to get out and jump. You want to share it with everyone. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit teaches. Number three, the Holy Spirit comforts. The Bible says he's the comforter who comforts us with the comfort of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, one of the greatest chapters uh, that describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in Zion. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. To give them the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He gives you joy for mourning. He comforts you in affliction. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, where do you think that comfort comes from? The Holy Ghost. When you have lost a loved one. Tragedy, whatever. And then there's this. This feeling in you that, yes, it sucks that I'm not going to see them until heaven. Yes, it sucks that they went before their time. Yes, it sucks that this happened. But there's this, this uh, understanding in your spirit that heaven is real. And that we're going to see them again one day. And you're not mourning as those who mourn who have no hope. You do mourn. There's a time to mourn. But there's a hope with your mourning. Where do you think that hope comes from? It's the Holy Spirit. Paul said, you should not mourn as those who have no hope. I feel like there's people that, have, that are watching me right now, maybe live or on the replay, I don't know. But there's people that are watching me right now that you have lost a loved one, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a husband, a spouse, a friend, a loved one, a cousin that were very close to you and you, you haven't been able to shake off that deep mourning in your spirit, you, you've come into a depression, you've come into a state of hopelessness, of sadness and sorrow of heart that has weighed you down. Today, you shall experience the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. God is going to console you right now. God is going to give you beauty for ashes. God is going to give you the oil of joy. I see the oil of joy being poured out over your head. Joy inexplicable and full of glory is going to come into your life. Where there was sorrow, there shall be joy. Where there was depression, there shall be freedom. Where there were chains weighing you down, there shall be liberty. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit comforts. He is our comforter. Number four, he convicts. John 16, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 16, which if you read John 14 to 16, the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. But in John 16, the Bible says in verse, uh, let's start with verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, he will, I will send him to you. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit is sent. When he has come, he will do three things. He will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts. He'll convict the world of sin. What does he convict of? Three things. He convicts of sin, 
He convicts of righteousness and he convicts of judgment, of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So he convicts of three things. He convicts of sin, he convicts of righteousness, and he convicts of judgment. Whenever, that's, that's something that needs to be embraced. The conviction ministry of the Holy Spirit must be embraced and clung to. Once that conviction leaves, and if you feel no more conviction and you're in sin, it is the most dangerous place to be in, on, I mean, it's the most dangerous place to be as a, as, as a human being. When you lose that conviction, that conviction is your best friend. When you do something that's wrong and a weight hits your spirit and you feel grieved because of what you've done, that's not to be rejected. That's not to be turned from. That is your best friend. When I preach a gospel, uh, when I preach the gospel in crusades or I do it in a church, and one thing I'll always say that I learned from evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth is I always say this, if you think that I'm your worst enemy because I've brought these things up and you feel a weight of conviction on you, if you think that I'm your worst enemy, I'm actually your best friend in all the earth because conviction is what leads you towards repentance and leads you towards redemption. It leads you out of Satan's realm of control for your life and into the kingdom of God. Without conviction, we can't be saved. The Bible says they were pricked to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved? That pricking, that piercing into your heart, that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and it must be embraced. That's one thing I always pray. Lord, cease not to convict me. Cease not to prick me in the heart. Cease not to weigh down my spirit. If ever I fail you or if ever I do something that offends you, let me know and let me know immediately. And I find myself to be a person who's quite sensitive to that. I want to be sensitive to that voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to be sensitive. You know, David said, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there's any harmful thing in me. See if there's any wicked thing in me. See if there's anything in me that offends you. And rip it from me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That ultimately describes what conviction is. The Holy Spirit strives to bring people into a place of holiness, into a place of righteousness, and reconciliation with God. Number five, he strengthens men's bodies. Romans 8, 11. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if he lives in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. Your mortal body. A lot of people say, well, that's talking about heaven. No, it's not. Because our heavenly bodies are not going to be mortal. They're immortal. They're incorruptible. So it's talking about your mortal body here. Now I have a mortal body. The Bible says mortality will be swallowed up by immortality once we make heaven. Now I have a mortal body. And the, the Bible says that he'll quicken our mortal body. An old King James way of saying he'll make alive or he will strengthen your mortal body. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah, the Bible says he outran the chariots of Ahab to the wall at Jezreel. He outran the chariots. I mean, for you to outrun horses, there has to be a supernatural strength at work. Do you remember when those seven sons of Sceva tried to cast the demon out of that man? 
And they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They just tried to piggyback on Paul's connection to God, and it didn't work. What happened? The man in whom the evil spirit was overpowered them, prevailed against them, and he stripped their clothes off so that they left the house wounded, bruised, and naked, and humiliated. That man... Had, that demon-possessed man had supernatural strength operating in his body. In Mark chapter 5, there was a man whom they often bound with iron chains and shackles, and he would break them apart and rip them up, and he would be free. He'd leave. He had supernatural strength surging through his body. Well, if an unclean spirit has power and can give a man power to rip apart chains, iron chains and shackles, and beat up seven grown men. I mean, I've cast out demons out of people that it took three people just to hold them down. If a demon can have that level of strength, and demons are, can't, can't even be compared with the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more shall the power of the Holy Ghost in us strengthen our bodies? I'm not just talking about if you're sick, God will heal you. I mean, if you're weak, God will impart His strength in you so that the strength that was on Elijah that outran the chariots of Ahab will come on you. The strength that was on Samson, that he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand of the Philistines, that same strength, you know that? The Bible says He didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of what the first thing the holy ghost is described of in that scripture is the spirit of power love and a sound mind the spirit of might the spirit of divine power is resident in the holy ghost hallelujah i see your body being quickened in jesus name weakness is leaving you number five he strengthens men's body number six he regenerates the human spirit titus chapter two titus chapter two if this broadcast is helping you and it's been beneficial to you. I'd, I'd be really encouraged if you would share this with other people by on YouTube. It's very simple. You just click that like button. If you're on YouTube and you haven't hit the like button, hit that like button and comment. And if you're on Facebook, just hit that share button. All of those things help us get this word out. Titus chapter 2, the Bible says in verse... Titus chapter 2 and verse 3... Not chapter 2, sorry. Titus, sorry, Titus chapter 3, not chapter 2. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of, listen to this, regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ our Lord. So the very... Uh, fact that we've been regenerated or Jesus describes it in John 3 is being born again remember it's not just praying God forgive me that you're saved it's you need you must be born again all that begins with you asking God for forgiveness in your hearts but I know for my own life there are many times I went to an altar and I asked God to forgive me and all that but I had not been born again but there was a definite time in my life where I was regenerated and renewed by the power of the Holy Ghost where I was born again. What does it mean to be born again? The old you, the old nature is stripped from you. The old sinner nature, the old fleshly nature 
The Bible describes it as the heart of stone being ripped out of your heart and God puts a new heart in you, a heart of flesh that is now willing to walk in the way of God's commandments. When I was born again, I now had a desire to follow God. I had a desire to pursue his plans for my life. I had a desire to cut off every relationship that I had with sin and a new desire to use my life as an instrument, a vessel for his glory, for honorable use. The Bible says we used to present our bodies as instruments or weapons for sin, but now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin. I'm not alive to sin anymore. Sin no longer reigns in my body. I'm alive to God and my hands and my feet and my eyes and my mouth and everything in my body is now a living sacrifice for God's use, for God's purpose. That's what it means to be born again. And if you've not experienced that, at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to invite you to pray with me and that God would do that for you. He regenerates us, gives us a new will, gives us a new life. The Bible says the new, we've become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Number seven, he sanctifies us. Romans 8 says that we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, you need to understand there's a two-part uh, two understanding for sanctification, Two things you need to know about sanctification. Number one, you have been sanctified fully. And number two, you are being sanctified. What do I mean by that? It might seem confusing, but I'm going to make it very clear to you right now. You have been sanctified, set apart. So when the Bible says you are sanctified, you read 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about us being saints. What's saint? It means to be a sanctified, called out one. You are sanctified. If you're born again, you're sanctified. What does it mean? You've been set apart. For a holy purpose. You have come out of this world. You no longer carry the stain or pollution of this world. You are set apart. You are distinguished. You are a holy priesthood. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. You are free from the bondage of this world. You are free from the stain of this world. You have been delivered from this present wicked age according to our God and Father. You are sanctified. I want you to write that in the comment section. I am a saint. Write that in the comment section. I am a saint. Some people think that being a saint is only reserved for Saint Joseph or Saint Paul or Saint Thomas or Saint Matthew, Saint this, the Pope. He's a saint. And everyone that gets venerated by the Holy Catholic Church, they are saints. No, that's not what a saint is. A saint simply means to be a sanctified one. And in Christ Jesus, he has sanctified us. We are all saints. You're a saint. I'm a saint. We're all saints together. We are saints, sanctified, set apart into the family of God. So you are sanctified. But number two, we are being sanctified. What do I mean by that? We are being made holy day by day. I'm fully, perfectly holy because of Christ. But I also am a work in progress. Paul said it this way. He said, not that I have already. Let me read it, actually. Pro, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. He's talking about his own, his practical living. But I do press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm not going to soak in the condemnation of my past anymore. I may have made a mistake 
today. I may have not apprehended perfection yet, practically lived out. Now, in position, I am perfectly perfect. In practicality, I am being perfected. I am being sanctified. I am pressing towards the goal, which is ultimate perfection. Hallelujah. Which Paul says it's a reality. It can be attained. You can actually live a life where you break free fully from the practice of sin. That it's not a habitual thing in your life. I'm not saying you never make a mistake again. I'm saying where it's not bondage anymore. I'm saying where you're not addicted to things anymore. I'm saying where it's not a habitual thing. You can actually break free from that. You can walk on the path of perfection. The Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies you, enabling you, and empowering you to live holy, even as He is holy. The Bible says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If it were not perfect, or if it were not possible to be perfect. Now, like I said, perfection is not a destination. Perfection is an adventure. It is a path. Perfection is a, a walk. You're on the path of perfection. You made a mistake. You got off momentarily. You repented. You turned from sin. You got back on the path of perfection. Sin should not be a common thing in the life of a believer. Sin should not be a regular thing. I know there's a lot of preaching out there that says the opposite. How many of you know we sin every day? We are just wretched human beings. You know, I can't stop sinning. You know, there's no worse sinner than here. You know, I know there's a lot of people who talk about that. They downplay the effect of sin. They don't actually believe the wages of sin is death. Could you imagine? Oh, I know this poison kills me. <laughs> Here, have it all. I know this poison's not going to do any good for me. I know this poison's deadly. I know this poison's going to kill you. Here's what I think about that. People downplay the effect of sin. The Bible does not. The wages of sin is death. It's death. In Romans 6, you can read it on your own time, it says we're no longer slaves to sin. What it means is I'm no longer on the dominion or control of that power called sin that used to rule and reign in my life. I am now under the power of Christ. I'm a slave of righteousness. That same, you know, when you're born again, you feel this. I used to have a drive to go to clubs. I used to have a drive to drink. I used to, I was driven to marijuana. I was driven to do these things. When I got born again, I didn't have that drive anymore. It dried up. My drive now is to go to church. My drive now is to win souls. My drive is to pray and read and study the word of God. My drive is to preach and do these broadcasts. I enjoy doing this. I love doing this. I have a drive. It gets me out of bed. It's thrilling to me. Just like sin used to be thrilling to you. When you get born again, sin, it loses its appeal. And now it's doing Godly things that becomes thrilling. Being in church. You know, there's some Christians, they complain. Well, there's two, there's two services this Sunday. Are you serious? During 21 days of fasting and prayer, we have church Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday morning, Sunday night. Are you serious? I have to be in church four times this week. Are you even born again? Are you even saved? I don't even think you are. Could you imagine? You know, the Bible says you're the bride of Christ. Could you imagine me? Hearing my wife say, I can't believe I have to be with you another day. TJ, I have to see your freaking face three times this week? Goodness gracious, you're hideous to me. Could you imagine? I'd be like, do you not love me? Like, did I do something to offend you? It's how some people treat the church. It's how some people treat Christ. 
You serious? I have to be? That evangelist is back. We have to do a week of meetings? Can't we just do Sunday? I'm sorry you lost your fire, but I pray it returns to you in Jesus' mighty name. People that are on fire for God don't talk like that. People that are on fire for God are... I was glad, David said, when we said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. David said, blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach you, that you might feed him with the goodness of your holy temple. Being in church is not a burden. Being in church is a blessing. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. He removes that laziness from your flesh. The Holy Spirit, by his process of sanctification, will restore in you excitement for the things of God. In Jesus' mighty name. The Holy Spirit is heaven's magnet. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. The Holy Spirit is heaven's magnet. Hallelujah. He draws the believer in the direction of God. It's a compelling, the Holy Ghost is a compelling force. He pulls you towards God. Pulls you in the direction of holiness. Pulls you in the direction of justice and righteousness. He draws men to Christ. John 6, 44, no man can come to me unless the Father by his Spirit draws me. By, unless the Father draws him. Well, how does the Father draw in this new, in this dispensation of the Holy Ghost? He draws by the Spirit of God. There's an evangel. There's a, there's a drawing power. Hallelujah. That was seven. Number eight. And uh, this is the eighth role of the Holy Ghost. Is he empowers Christians for service. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. He empowers Christians for their heavenly assignment. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. You know, in uh, 1906, when the Azusa outpouring happened and people got filled with the Holy Ghost uh, in a greater, greater portion than ever before, like since the day of Pentecost, probably, you know, there's over 600 million Pentecostals that speak in tongue on the earth that all originated from that 1906 outpouring. And uh, the immediate thing that happened, the moment those men and women, simple people, ordinary people, received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, the first thing that happened is they felt the call to go out, to minister. There were people that um, got the baptism in the Holy Ghost there that became missionaries to Africa because they felt the call. You know, in Acts chapter 13, I'm going to read this. Acts chapter 13 you see, in verse 1, Now in the church there was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work unto which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit spoke, Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, one of the first things that may happen to you is that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about a work that needs to be done. Maybe you're called to be a missionary somewhere else. There's a, a German man who came to Azusa in 1906, got filled with the Holy Ghost, went back to Germany, and used the rest of his life to just evangelize the forested areas of Germany, places that nobody really went, that had like one little Lutheran church, but that was it. He brought that Pentecostal power and message to those unreached places. And he, he, he lit fires all across Germany. Matter of fact, one of the fires he lit, one of the first ones, 
was in a little German town where there was a man who is in terrible pain. Remember, it's not just speaking in tongues the Holy Ghost gives you. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts. That's why we title this the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. And one of the gifts is the working of miracles. So this man in that town, there was, uh, he encountered a man who was in excruciating pain. I forget what disease he had. I think it was some sort of rheumatism or whatever. And he was in excruciating pain and for several weeks. And he would yell. This, he would let out a yell. So remember in 1900, they didn't have the medication and anesthesias that we have today. So they couldn't soothe his pain. And so he would yell, yell with intensity so that this man who was just traveling and walking through town heard the yell come. So he went to the town, he went to the house of the man and uh, he, he preached to them. He was a Lutheran, uh, a Lutheran man, Lutheran believer. And he preached him uh, Pentecost and the power of God and God's will to heal, laid hands on him. The man gets up off his sickbed, supernaturally restored and healed on the spot. Well, guess what? That man goes on to be a pastor who got healed, his son is, drum roll, do I have a drum roll here? I don't have a drum roll. His son is Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke ends up raising, being raised up to be one of the great, greatest evangelists to ever hit the earth. So you see, there's this evangelistic fervor that comes when the Holy Spirit is at work in a person. Number nine, he distributes gifts to men. And this is These last two points is what I'm going to, this is, what we're going to talk about the most this week. But I wanted to use this broadcast as an introduction to the Holy Spirit and what he, what he does, who he is, what he's eager to do. Number nine, he distributes gifts to men. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. There, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all these things. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. These are the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to go through them this week and classify them and, uh, and give you a better understanding as to how they function, how they function in Bible days, how they function in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, how they function in modern times through great men and women, through how they function through my life, and how you can be using these same gifts. So stay tuned this week. Be, be present this week. You're going to go to a new level of power and, uh, and in excelling in the operational use of these gifts. So what are these gifts? To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. I'll define these, these week, this week. To another, the, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Notice how it says the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpre interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit worketh all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. One and the same spirit worketh all these things. So he distributes gifts to men. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are simply the way the Holy Spirit works through people. That's all it is. I do not believe that you can have the gift of healing. Or you can have the gift of prophecy. I believe you have the Holy Ghost in you. And as the Holy Spirit is in you, he distributes or he allows you to operate in these gifts or in these, um, these ways as you minister to people. You know, if I'm ministering to somebody 
who's sick, I don't necessarily need a word of wisdom for them. That's not going to help them. That's not going to be the best gift uh, in that particular case. The best gift to have would be the working of miracles or the gifts of healing. Me just encouraging them is not going to help them get healed. They want to be healed. And so people always say, what's the best gift? Or I want this gift. No, the best gift that you can have is the one that's useful to you as you minister right here and right now. If someone comes to me that's lost a loved one and they're extremely downcast and sorrowful, I don't need the word of knowledge. I don't necessarily need the uh, discerning of spirits at that moment. What I do need is a gift of prophecy for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. So you see, I don't believe, and I know others might teach it differently, but I teach it this way, and I believe it's biblically correct, that you have the Holy Spirit, and as you yield yourself to Him in Christian ministry and service, that these gifts will flow through you as the Holy Spirit distributes as He wills. As He wills. Given the circumstance or situation that you uh, are ministering to. So He distributes gifts to men. There are three categories of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are the inspiration gifts. The inspiration gifts are the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have to do with us speaking. Other people define them as the speaking gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Can you operate in all, Liz asked. Great question. Yes, absolutely. You can operate in any gift of the Holy Spirit as you have need of it in ministering to people. These gifts do not constantly, are not constantly in operating in operation. Nobody is always operating in the word of knowledge, or else they would know everything. What is the word of knowledge? The word of knowledge is a fragment of God's divine omniscient knowledge that is given to you. Uh, that, that, that reveals to you a particular piece of knowledge that cannot come to you through the sense realm, meaning you didn't see it or hear of it. And it's not just perceiving things as you look at a person. I've had this gift of word of knowledge operate through me, particularly one time I remember there was a girl at my service who had OCD. You cannot tell someone has OCD unless you live with them. You can't tell. It's not like she had a sign saying, I have OCD. There's nothing visually that you can tell. It's something going on in her heart, and she looked like a perfectly normal individual. Nobody, had, nobody, very few people except my family, knew I had OCD when I had OCD. So it's, I could not have known, and yet I knew. The moment I came near her, I knew it like just downloaded into my spirit, and she wept and cried, and I even told her think other things about her life that I could not have known. I never met her in my life. It was her first time in church. And it led to repentance, which that leads me to say something very important. All of these gifts have redemptive value to them. I need to make this clear. The word of knowledge is not a magic show. The gift of working of miracles is not a magic show. Matter of fact, you see this guy named Simon in Acts chapter 8 who used to be a witch, a warlock, a sorcerer who astonished the people of Samaria for many years when he would do these, like, you know, he would operate by demon power and obviously do produce supernatural works that got them to believe he was superhuman. But when Peter and John came and laid hands on the people to receive the Holy Ghost, the Bible says he abandoned, he had already been saved through Philip's ministry, but now he abandoned all his sorcery. He wasn't going to, he, he found a higher power. He found a greater power, the power of the Holy Ghost. What did he do? 
He asked Peter and John, give me this power also so that on whomever I lay my hands, they might receive the Holy Ghost. Well, Peter, through probably the discerning of spirits, because the discerning of spirits has to do with discerning three, three types of spirit. Angelic spirits, actually four types of spirits. Angelic spirits, the discerning of spirits will open your eyes up to the realm of angels. Two, demonic spirits, show you uh, uh, demonic influence in a person's life. Three, the human spirit, which is, I believe, what Peter operated in, the discerning of spirits for the human spirit when he identified uh, uh, Simon's, the sorcerer's wrongdoing, when he said, may your money and silver perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased. Peter was saying, you just want this so that you can make a business out of it the same way you used the power of the devil to make a business out of it before you got saved, your heart is wrong. And he said, pray that God would forgive you, for I perceive that you are still bound by bitterness and in the gall of iniquity. So that was discerning of the human spirit. And then four, there's the discerning of God's spirit, the Holy Ghost. When you can discern the spirit of God flowing, some of you, you've had that operate in you. Some of you, you have, you've had, you've operated in these gifts. You don't even know it yet because you don't even understand what they are. That's why it's imperative that you join me this week because you're going to find out, oh man, I've had that happen to me. I didn't know. Didn't know that was the gift of the, of the Holy Ghost working through me. When you discern the spirit of God moving in a service, when you feel his presence, that's the discerning of spirits. So there's the inspiration spirits. Uh, inspiration gifts, sorry. There are the revelation gifts, which is discerning of spirits, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom. And then there's the power gifts. The power gifts, which is the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. Stay tuned this week, and I'm going to go into greater detail uh, concerning those gifts. Finally, and I think this is number 9 or 10, Ten role of the Holy Ghost is he confirms callings and commissions to ministry. And this is why I entitled this week's broadcast, The Gifts and Ministries of the Holy Ghost. The ministry is the one, the, the, the Holy Ghost is the one that confirms the callings that Jesus has placed on individuals. Acts 13, I read it before, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the call of God. That's why it's, it's nice when you're praying and fasting, some of you are going to have the call of God uh, come to light in your life. You'll sense the call of God in your life. You'll sense the moving of the Holy Spirit steering you up to do something great. And I want to encourage you, you never serve God at a loss. You never serve God and go backwards. You never serve God and it be a step down in life. The Bible says serving your body, God, uh, bodily fitness is profitable for some things. But godliness, serving God in the interests of His kingdom is profitable in all things since it holds promise in the life that now is and in the life to come. Salvation's not a step down and pursuing the call of God is not a step down. And off, unfortunately, the call of God, you know, the Holy Ghost can only confirm what we preach and teach as ministers. Preachers, that's why the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers for you're going to be held in higher standards than everybody else. Because unfortunately, there are many preachers and teachers that do not preach the call of God anymore. And the Holy Ghost can only confirm what we preach and teach, what is being taught on the earth. And so if nobody's teaching it, the Holy Ghost can't confirm it. So if we're not preaching the call of God, no wonder the Bible colleges, many of them, many of them, the Bible colleges of America are emptying out. I heard of a Bible college just recently. The recent admission was 10 people. 
10 people. They used to have three, 400 people coming in. Why? Because many places, the call of God is, is never, if not rarely, spoken of. But I've made up my mind. Everywhere I go, I speak about this. And I've seen people called into full-time ministry. I've seen people. I mean, look at Jasmine. Jasmine's in Bible college right now. She, you know, she, I'm sure she had the fire of God on her before, but she came into this broadcast. She's been equipped. There's been a zeal steered up into her. And the call of God, she's got the call of God on her life. The Holy Spirit, through different ministries, has steered that up in her to the point of her acting on it and pursuing it for herself. And she'll be used mightily of the Lord. So the Holy Ghost confirms callings and commissions to ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to finish with this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. What are the ministries of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Thanks for joining me today. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saint, for the works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and to the uh, measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So you see here the five ministries that the Holy Ghost calls people to. Apostle. The apostle is one who is sent out. Apostolos in Greek means to be sent out to establish a work. Prophet is one who is like the pointing finger of the body of Christ. Can confirm, can point you in the right direction. A prophet in the New Testament era will not bring something new. The prophet's purpose is to confirm something that's already been deposited in you by the Holy Ghost. So the prophet, if there's, you know, some people, they receive a word of prophecy and it's something totally left field. I never even thought of that, never even had it in my heart. They've prayed about it, doesn't feel anything. You don't just go because a prophet says something in this day and this age. The Spirit of God testifies with our own spirits. So the prophet just comes to testify to what the Holy Ghost has already spoken to your spirit. The prophet is like the pointing finger of the body of Christ. Confirms where you're supposed to go, confirms the right decision you're supposed to make. That's what the prophet does. Number three, you have the evangelist. The evangelist is the sickle uh, tool of the body of Christ, bringing people in, going into the highways and byways to the lost, dark places that nobody goes to, to set up evangelistic campaigns so as to rip people out of darkness and bring them into light before it's eternally too late. Number four, you have pastors. Pastors are the shepherds of the body of Christ. They look out for the souls of those that belong to the body of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, let me read it. Hebrews 13, obey those who rule over you, that's pastors, be submissive for, to them, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. In Acts chapter 20, you see Paul speaking of the role of a pastor. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. He's talking to the Ephesian pastors here. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, the sheep, amongst whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So saying it again, the Holy Spirit is, what, is who um, calls and confirms people into this office of pastor. 
has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So pastors are shepherds within the church of God. And then finally, number five is teachers. Oftentimes pastors will have teaching gifts because to shepherd properly, you need to teach. You need to teach, instruct, and uh, train up people. And so oftentimes the pastor will actually uh, carry the role of pastor teacher and fit into both of those offices. But it, there are people who are exclusively teachers. These are people that carry a message from the body of Christ and they're especially gifted in unraveling the mysteries, making it very simple. They break things down very, very, very simply. And a lot of times people de um, devalue or don't give enough value to this position of teacher within the body of Christ. But I heard an analogy and I think it's great. You have a hand, five fingers. Here you have the apostle, the thumb. The apostle can actually fit under any of the offices of ministry. He can operate as an, a prophet. He can operate as an evangelist. He can operate as a pastor. He can operate as a teacher. Because as a sent one, when he's going, an apostle goes to where nobody's gone. They lay the foundation. And as such, being the first one there, they don't have evangelists there. They don't have prophets. So they have to like walk in or step into those other roles. And they're able to do it. An apostle can operate, an apostle can step into the office of an evangelist and bring in great crowds. And like with divine grace, do it. An evangelist, oh, let's do a prophet. A prophet, I said it before, is the one, the pointing of the body of Christ. Number three, you have the evangelist, which is the longest finger, if you have a hand like mine. The evangelist reaches. The evangelist goes where nobody goes. Uh, so like I was saying before, an apostle can step into the office of evangelists as they go out to where nobody goes and they have a grace. An evangelist has a heavy grace to invite people and call people to repentance and faith in Christ. An evangelist has, it's like they do it with ease. There's this grace. Their altar call has a divine weight on it. I'm not saying pastors can't give altar calls that are good. I'm just saying an evangelist especially is gifted in calling people to Christ. Then you have the pastor. The pastor is the ring finger. The pastor uh, is next. And then you have the teacher. The teacher is the pinky. Now this is what I wanted to get to. You close your hand. You don't have a pinky. Try and, try and put sand in your hand. You put sand in your hand, everything just falls through. You can't hold anything. The pinky is actually what keeps everything together. So that teaching gift is very crucial to the body of Christ, especially in these last days as de demonic doctrine and seducing spirits rise up, we need that teaching gift more than ever before. And there's people that are especially in grace from heaven to teach and preach Bible doctrine in a way that breaks it down. You know, when we have an understanding of the fundamental truths of Bible doctrine, it'll actually enable you to understand everything else in the Bible. So those are the fivefold ministries of the Holy Ghost. I'm wondering if I should... Yeah, let me read this. And I'm going to conclude with this. Acts chapter 2. We'll end with, with a bang. Acts chapter 2. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell at Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk as you suppose, for it is the, only hour, the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God. What days are we in? We're in the last days. And so Peter goes on to say by the Spirit, in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The time that the Holy Ghost will display His power 
in a greater fashion and measure than any other time before will be in these last days. The greatest display of his power, the greatest outpouring of these gifts and the ministries of the Holy Ghost will be in these last days. It shall come to pass in the last days. Not the work of the Spirit is going to diminish and he's just going to take a bow out of the world scene. No, he's going to ramp up, crank up the intensity of his operation on the earth. Let me ask you something. The Holy Ghost has always been operating, you know, in the life of Elijah, in the life of Elisha. You see the Holy Spirit in 2 Chronicles 20 moving on Ahaziel. The Holy Spirit's always been moving. He moved. And it wasn't even his dispensation in those days. We are now in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Do you think he's going to move any less now than he did in the other dispensations? You read about... You know, any time before Acts is the dispensation of the Father and the dispensation of the Son. From Acts and onward is the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Do you think that in these days that is called the dispensation of the Holy Ghost, that He's going to flow any less than He did in Bible days? No. The contrary. Peter says in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. That means he's going to call sons and daughters to the ministry. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. I'm manservant and maidservant alone. Alike, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, the promise, this promise, this promise. It's not for the apostle. It's not for the evangelist alone. It's not for the book of Acts church. It wasn't for Jesus alone. It wasn't for the Peter and the apostles alone. This promise is to you, to your children. Now, if he had just stopped there, we could have concluded that it was for the early church alone and the descendants of the early church, the next generation. But after that generation, it sees. But he goes a step further and says, and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord, our God would call. You know who are called? The Bible says, call to be saints in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we were called, called. We were called in Christ Jesus. Called, accepted in the beloved. If you're saved, you're part of the called. And the Bible says the promise is to those who are called, as many as would call on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. This promise is for you. This promise is for you. In light of this prophecy, we see that the study of the gifts of the Holy Ghost in these last days is paramount, paramount for the advancement of the church. No wonder. Listen to this. This is going to be the best part of the entire broadcast. Listen to this. In light of what I just read in Acts chapter 2, in the last days, the Holy Ghost is going to move greater than ever before. No wonder you see the devil using religious spirits to mock speaking in tongues. Turn people away from the moving of the Holy Ghost in churches. There are some churches that have signs on their doors. No speaking in tongues here. That used to be Pentecostal churches. There's a Bible college that started in the fire that now has it in their uh, manual, their Bible college manual that they hand out to every student that goes in, that you cannot lay hands on the sick and there will be no flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No wonder you see these religious devils, this Antichrist spirit mocking miracles and the gifts of the Spirit openly. They mock it on secular news. They mock preachers like me. They mock preachers that carry power. 
They, they speak down on them. No wonder. Because the devil wants to turn a generation. He can't stop the power of God. But what he can do is mock the power of God. And in so doing, he'll stop people from having a hunger or desire to move in those things. He did it in Acts chapter 2. The moment they got filled in tongues of fire and they spoke in other tongues. What was the first thing they did? They mocked them saying, these men are drunk. Yeah, I'm drunk. But I'm not drunk with wine or Bacardi or Jack Daniels. I'm drunk in the Holy Ghost and fire. And the drunkness that I have being intoxicated by the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be intoxicated? I'm under the influence. I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He di directs and He corrects and He guides me in every step that I take. He controls my movement. He controls my words. I yield myself to Him. I've submitted to Him. They mock that type of person. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the one who opened up my eyes to the gospel, the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's funny because in the WEF, World Economic Forum, last year they had a conference and they had a Baptist pastor that went to it. And uh, to go to it, you have to sign a form that states that I agree with whatever is being discussed at this place. And I agree to not only hear the new agenda that, it, that the WEF has drawn up, which if you don't know what the World Economic Forum is, you got to read on it. It's demonic at the root. One world government, one world money, one world economy, one world military, one world. It's just basically a replacement of the UN, but like cranked up, intensified. And it has Antichrist all over it. And these Baptist ministers, when they went, they had to sign a form that says, not only will we, do we agree what's being spoken of, but any new thing that you, any orders that you give us, we're going to implement in our churches. They have to sign a form. Anyone going to the WF form, you have to sign a form that says we're not just going to hear, we're going to get our marching orders for what to do. We are on board with the vision. We're not wasting your time. We're going to come together to realize this vision of the WF, an antichrist, globalistic overreach. And as long as the church is here, they can try all they want. It won't work. But listen to this. These Baptist preachers went. They came back very stupid people because they had... A bag as they go into the they went to a Baptist the Southern Baptist Convention and as they walked into the room they were carrying a bag for the WF convention that everyone received it was a bag full of goodies and they used the bag to go to their Baptist convention well it caused an uproar because a lot of people know exactly what that that conference was for and what their plans are and it being very anti-Christ in root and so there was an uproar in the Baptist convention and that, that Baptist preacher that got up to give his speech that night, he came and his sermon was, it revolved around three points. Three things that, that he said we need to put an end to in our churches this year and preach against. One of them was preach against prosperity. Preach against prosperity. Tell people they need to, you know, suffer, be poor, and that's cling to your suffering. Why? Because the devil doesn't want the church to have money. A church that has money becomes a very dangerous church if it stewards it correctly. Number two, preach against miracles. Preach against the miracle working power of God. Which we know a church that is void of power is not going to have influence. The reason why the book of Acts church had influence, the early church, is because great signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles and fear swept on the entire land. The miracles is what authenticates our message. And in number three, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. 
They were teaching people, we need to preach against this baptism in the Holy Ghost, against this speaking in tongues. We need to tell people that this thing, these things are not for today. Well, what do you think? Those are three things the devil doesn't want getting out into the church. What do you think I did? I heard that. And those are three things I'm going to preach harder than ever before. Three things I'm going to drill into the people that watch me more than ever before. These are three things I'm going to enforce and speak on more than any other topic. If the devil doesn't want me to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it seven times more. Whatever the devil tells you not to do, do it seven times. Get him irritated. Get his... His ears fuming like a teapot. Hallelujah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of talking in tongues. I'm not ashamed of laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And I know you're not either. Join me this week. And God's going to equip you. You're going to get baptized in the Holy Ghost if you've never been. You're going to get rebaptized in the Holy Ghost if you have been. You will not be a dry Christian. You will be infused with fresh fire. God's going to pour out his oil of the Holy Ghost. Your cup will run over this week. You're going to a new dimension of power. Like Ezekiel, you'll no longer be at the ankle deep anointing. The anointing of God's going to increase in you. You will be a highly effective Christian. His divine power will enable you and empower you to fulfill all of heaven's assignment concerning your life in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask you, I feel your anointing moving in this broadcast. Those that are watching live and on replay, I thank you for your plan for these last days. Yes, the devil has a plan. Yes, the devil's getting together and the rulers of this earth are taking counsel against the Lord and against his Christ. But you who sits in the heavens, you laugh. You mock them because you know that their day is coming. And you also know that your plan will overpower any plan of the enemy. And your plan is very simple. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Lord, this week I ask you, raise up fivefold ministers from this broadcast. Raise up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Raise up, the Bible says, maidservants and men servants shall prophesy. Men and women that would be used mightily as vessels of honor in this day and this age to not just teach the gospel or preach the gospel, but to confirm it with power, the power that comes by the Holy Ghost. I ask you, Father, as I teach on the gifts of the Spirit this week, that as the people's understanding is sharpened and quickened, as you unravel these gifts of the Holy Ghost to them, how they're to be used, how to flow in them, I pray, Lord, make us highly effective. Let the manifestation of these gifts bring profit in our, in our world. In Jesus' mighty name. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.